welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. UConn is down to 17 in the AP poll, its lowest ranking since 1993-94. After it lost to Texas by 12, it beat Ball State to get back in the win column, but that was largely as expected. Ball State was never going to challenge them realistically. Feels like the Texas loss just continues what we've been seeing from this team and kind of confirms more about their issues. Just the offense not having a ton behind Aaliyah Edwards and Paige Beckers and how tough life gets when you don't have both of those two rolling. The defensive issues cropping up. And I think something else that started to show was some body language stuff. I did not think they looked super engaged in the second half. I didn't think their body language was very good for long stretches of the second half. And as Gino Ariam has talked about all of this adversity that they've faced, he used the word demoralizing a lot. And I think Texas that second half certainly looked like a demoralized team because the way the game goes Texas cannot miss a shot from the start. They go six for six, jump out to a 52 lead. UConn takes a timeout, and they get back within five, but never any closer than that the rest of the way. So when you just get out to such a bad start, and you already know that you're facing enough time, they didn't completely fold because they did make a little bit of a comeback late in the game and made it a little bit interesting, but... It's not like they just were unfazed and didn't bounce back. It seems like it affected them. So lots of the same, but also a few new concerns crop up from that loss. Yeah, maybe not necessarily surprising concern considering I feel like this team, like it just keeps happening. Like it was AZ and now it's Carolina. And it's just like, when do they get to break? And it's maybe not really surprising that a group of 18 to 21 year olds are a little bit frustrated and that's coming out in their play on the court at this point. But at the same time, like this is who they have to roll with right now. And they've got to find ways to, to make it work. Yeah. So the latest on Caroline Ducharme to start there is that she is just out indefinitely with neck spasms from the sounds of it. They had really bad turbulence going over the Carolinas on their way down to the Cayman islands. Then after the flight, she was just not in a particularly good place physically. That's what led to her not playing down in the Caymans. It was all tied together. And now more recently, it seems like the team is having her take a step back. And she tried to play through a lot of the symptoms and did play through a lot of the symptoms at the end of last year and we all saw them visibly where she's got the ice pack on her head. The minute she comes off the bench or when, even when she was still out, she had the earplugs in, but now the focus seems to be the way Gino described it. I think it was on his coach's show is that they don't want it to be not knowing whether she's going to play every game and just pushing through and going game by game with it. They want to get her to a point where they know she's going to be available every game. They're going to feel comfortable with her being available every game. And while it hasn't been said, I think it's also just a quality of life thing. She detailed before the season started 
that she has to take more care of doing everyday things. And then she rattled off basically everything that you do on an everyday basis, schoolwork, watching TV, being around loud noises, driving at night, all those sorts of things that she has to concern herself with. That's not a great place to be as a junior in college. The focus now, as it seems like it's becoming, should be on just getting her back where she feels good on an everyday basis and worrying about basketball later. So as a result, the basketball side of that is we don't know when we're going to get Caroline Ducharme back, if at any point this season. Yeah, I feel like it's very concerning about her health just in general. Like that she they've had a whole off season of not playing competitive basketball season or competitive basketball games and she's still kind of in this this place and I think yeah, the things that you said that need to be the priority as long as well as just her like long-term health at this point and your head injuries are not something to be messed around with. Especially this is closing in on two years of these sorts of problems those initial head injuries her freshman year started around february i believe so that would be 22 months they lingered into the she had the hip surgery but then she misses the season opener with neck tightness and admits that she's not necessarily 100 percent, and then gets the concussion that keeps her out for forever and she's not all that 100 percent, i guess when she gets back and now it continues on into this season, that's a really long time to be dealing with something like this and keep, and the focus shouldn't be on basketball when it's been that long. I don't know if it's all connected to the neck and like when I had concussion, a really bad concussion, I had a really tight neck for a long time and still it, crops up every now and then but nothing that sounds anywhere as debilitating as what she has but I don't know if the answer is just being away from it and really taking that time to rest and reset and not push yourself to get back for basketball and maybe even taking on a lighter load at school or it might not be the worst thing in the world to take a semester off school if that could be helpful but if they can start diving into not just treating the symptoms, but treating the cause of this, regardless of what that timeline might be, if it takes two years for her to get better in this state, and that means she can't play anymore, then that's the solution that they should be aiming towards. I'm not saying that's what it will be, but we just don't have the information available to know if it's going to be a month, two months, the entire year, a career, anything like that. But from everything that Gina Horiyama has indicated, it's not going to be any time particularly soon. Yeah. And obviously just sucks for a kid that's already been dealing with this for, for two years. So hopefully they figure it out. And I don't know what the basketball return is and the basketball implications, but hopefully for her own sake and her health, they figure this out. Right. Basketball is certainly in the backseat. Well, might even be in the third row. Yeah. <laughs> but to look at it just from the basketball side of her absence, that leaves UConn now without two of the top three guards going into the year. Arguably, it's two top shooters who expected to put up a lot of three-pointers. 
And now the backcourt depth consists of pitchbackers, who we know is very good. Nick Mule, who's great in what she does, but by no means a go-to scorer or a go-to shooter. She can give you some points and can give you some shots in the flow of things and as a bit player, but certainly not as a number one or number two option. And then it's a bunch of freshmen. And those freshmen certainly feel like they've been overexposed a little bit. They've had their moments. When you get told the entire summer, we just need you to do X, Y, Z. You don't have to put the whole team on your back. And then four games in, they have to reverse course and say, sorry, we actually need you to carry a much heavier load. I think we've seen that in the way that some of them pressed, the way that it's been such a roller coaster. If they have everyone, these guys are not even the first option off the bench. If they are the first option off the bench, that means they're playing really well. But they were not expected to have to be relied on this heavily. And when they get these really good contributions, like we'll talk about it, but Ashlyn Shade's performance against Ball State, those were going to be magnified because you were already going to get 18 points a game from Paige, 18 points a game from Aaliyah, 18 points a game from AZ, 15 points a game from Caroline if everything was going great, 10 points a game from Aubrey, and now whatever you're getting from those freshmen is just a bonus. All of a sudden, you need each of them to be scoring around 10 points a game against these good teams for you to have a chance to win, and it's not happening, and you can't blame the freshmen because this is not what they spent the entire summer preparing for and you can't blame the coaching staff because they built a pretty good roster and it has all fallen apart in front of them there's there's nothing that you can do there's no blame that you can place anywhere but at the same time they that this is the situation that and this is going to be the way that they have to figure it out yeah exactly i think this team is in pretty much a situation that well, I guess you could imagine, given the way the last couple of years have gone. But everyone was hoping it would never be in, and now you've kind of got to totally reconfigure the game plan for the rest of the year because you're right now the freshmen do have to contribute, and you have to have a different game plan than you did when you were expecting to have AZ Fudd and Caroline Dushan play a huge role on this team. So it's I feel like what we're seeing is that that's going to take time because they weren't ready to have to be playing in the way that they have to now. Yeah, and I think the struggles that they've gone through this year just are a tribute to how unbelievable Lou Lopez Seneschal was last year because Mm -hmm. she had to carry such a heavy load with Paige out, with AZ out for a lot of the year, without Caroline for a huge stretch, and she did it. At times, it was literally her and Nika in that backcourt. Is Am I missing someone? Because it feels like missing someone, but I don't think I am. No, they really did are. not have a whole lot in that backcourt when the injuries were at their peak, and she didn't blink. She was the same every single game for them. She was so steady, so solid. And then Dorka Juhas, too. Dorka being that big that could rebound, that could score. I guess Aubrey played a little more guard, or more of a guard role last year with all the injuries, and this year it feels like she's much more heavily used in that front court. But 
Lou specifically, but also Dorka in how much they miss her rebounding and her passing in the post. The These big games, we've seen that it's really either been one of Paige or one of Aaliyah. They have not been able to get both of them going. And I think all these injuries are really affecting Paige more than anyone because when Aaliyah wasn't playing well or wasn't getting the big numbers, it was fairly obvious that was Aaliyah just needed to play better. But against Texas, when Rory Harmon's on her and guarding her is on Paige and is guarding her throughout the game one-on-one, Texas can also throw some extra defensive attention on her because they were very clearly not all that concerned about anyone else that UConn had in the backcourt beating them. And they turned out to be right in that. Or at least they risked that, that none of the freshmen were going to beat them and they weren't going to let Paige beat them. Yeah, maybe Paige can be a little bit better and has to find a way to get around and get shots up and give them more than 13 points. But she's got no help in the backcourt unless one of those freshmen are going. So it's that's going to be something to look forward to as they play the rest of this first half is how does Paige adapt and how does she... I hate the comparison. I really hate the comparison. I I cannot emphasize enough how much I hate this comparison that I'm going to make, (laughs) but how can she deal with the defensive attention that someone like Caitlin Clark is getting on a nightly basis? Yeah, I I I also hate the comparison, (laughs) but I I do think that it's a valid point in this context, not in the context of the athletic article that said that she needs to be Caitlin Clark because I don't think that's the path to success for this team at all. But I do think that that's something she's going to now see because of the the situation in the backcourt and the injuries. You know, there's not also an AZ Fudd and a Caroline Duchamp there that teams need to guard and Paige is going to get more defensive attention because of that especially until some of the freshmen kind of can step up and prove that they can be consistent because yeah, if you're a team, you're going to you let Paige beat you or you're going to take your chance that one of the freshmen is going to beat you. And the easy answer is take the chance on the freshman. Right. I think the way that she played against ball state is a really good example of how Paige can have a really good night without, having to take a hundred shots because the Caitlin Clark comparison to her, to them as players is that they need Paige to huck up 30 shots per game and hope that a third of them go in. That, that is not what Paige needs to do, but we have seen her carry a really heavy load in a lot of these games, 27 points against NC state, 24 against Maryland, 31 against UCLA, 22 against Kansas but Ball State, 15 points on a really efficient 5 of 7 shooting. 2 of 3 from 3. 4 rebounds, 3 assists on a night where they had those freshmen going and they were getting contributions. And when those freshmen aren't necessarily hitting, can she then add another 15 points from her own to make up for what Ashlyn or KK or Cadence were contributing in other games? So... I don't think it has to be a blanket 25 points per game every single night because that's not going to be what they need every single night. And there's a lot of value in making sure that these freshmen come along and not taking shots away from them. But in those moments that 
they need those points and no one else is producing them, how can she find them? How can she go out there and and just will the ball into the basket when there's a lot of attention on her? And I think she doesn't look all the way back yet. That really seems to be something that's that's progressed, I guess I'd say, since the Cayman Islands. Yeah, she had, she might have scored a combined 53 points down there, but you could tell there was something a little off, whether it was fatigue, whether she tweaked something. I'm not saying her knee, just you go through bumps and bruises throughout the year. Whether she's got something going on like that. Gino mentioned that he only played her 21 minutes against Ball State because they're trying to you know, preserve her for Sunday. So maybe she just still hasn't gotten in the best of shape because she was still working back from that knee injury over the summer. So I don't think Paige is at her full power yet. I'm not worried about that. I think she will get there. But this is kind of what we expected. A, a little bit of some ups and downs instead of being that national player of the year from day one. But by the time yeah. they get to March, they need her to be that. Yeah, exactly. I would say that's like, it might not be there yet, but it's also like not something I'm concerned about not being there when we get to what really counts in March. I think it's going to come along just fine. I feel like speaking of things that are coming along too, I thought as much as it's hard to take positives from the Texas game, Aliyah Edwards played really well and then played really well again against Ball State. And that is, I I can't think of much something that this team probably needed more than her to be operating at that level. Yeah, that was a really big step for her, especially a Texas team that is one of the tougher matchups for her. On top of the fact that she's getting no help from anyone. It it feels a lot like Liv, her sophomore year, where it was Liv and... Aubrey Griffin was the one after that because Ice Brady is really going through the depths of the freshman struggles. And it's been it's been a rough go, and it was a rough go against Texas, but the aggressiveness and the intensity and just I always use this word with Aaliyah, and I think it's a really good word that describes her style of play when she's on just being that bully down in the post where Mm -hmm. she's going to go get this ball and there is nothing that's going to stop her. She's going to go get this basket and there's nothing that's going to stop her. That's when she's playing her best basketball. And we've started to see that come out a lot more frequently. And yeah, two big games, two high shooting percentages too. I think that's a real big Mm -hmm. indicator of is Liv playing well or isn't she? Because her freshman year, didn't she lead the country in field goal percentage? I'm not forgetting that, right? Or Yeah, you're correct. And Aaliyah, you said Liv, which is funny. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I was on oh, Liv good. and then came back yeah. to Aaliyah. So, Liv. No, Aaliyah. Oh, my God. It's been a long week. I had to drive all the way up to Orono Bain and back Ooh. in the span of like three days, which is just very much. long yeah <laughs> and i'm still recovering so forgive me for any more slips of the tongue the rest of the way but let's look at her field goal percentage year over year and it's 68 percent as a freshman then it dropped to 52 percent during that disappointing sophomore year back up to 58 percent when i think her freshman year i would be surprised if 
any significant percentage of her shots came from just outside the rim. Her, her junior year is when that elbow jumper started to come out a lot more, and that was certainly not a 70% shot. And this year, it's 58.1%. So she can bump, start to bump that up a little more. That's still the top 5% of the nation. That is just a really good barometer for how well she's playing on a given night. And two nights in a row where she only misses a handful of shots, that's a pretty good spot for her to be in. So yeah, she's starting to come along. They could finally connect the dots, and she and Aaliyah can ever, you know exchange schedules and when they're going to be on the same page that would be a really big boost for this team yeah exactly i think if you get to a point where you have Paige and Aaliyah kind of really going off each night like that's going to mask a lot of the other problems this team has and they still need to fix the other problems but having those two consistently playing well together will mask a lot of problems yeah and it feels like that's what we've been saying for a long time <laughs> because they haven't done the same thing. And even Paige masks a lot of problems because mm -hmm. she's the reason that they're even in the UCLA game. She's the reason that they're within shouting distance at NC State. And she still gives them 13 points against Texas. It's not like it... She was just a complete non-factor. It's not like she didn't score in that game or they completely shut her down. They just, she scores 23 points instead of what, yeah, 12. So she scores 22 points, 10 more. That's a much closer game. And even if she maybe comes alive late in that game and takes over the way that we've seen her do, maybe they do complete that comeback. So... Yeah, there's a lot of things that this team is not going to fix. I I think there's firmly a ceiling on how far they can go, and it's just because of Peyton and Leah, that ceiling is still pretty high. But the floor is really low, and we've seen how low that floor can be in flashes. It hasn't... I mean, it's crazy to say that bad as they've been, as ugly as this has looked throughout... In all this time, all this season, their three losses are still to top five teams on the road. And how many other teams in the country, if they play this same schedule, would have a different record than UConn does, or would have a worse record than UConn does? So that I think what's still keeping me on the ledge is that can it, it feels a little bit like. And this is a terrible comparison because that team stunk. But the the COVID ended year, not the COVID year, but the year that ended because of COVID when Megan Walker was an All-American Crystal senior year. We only ever got to see that team against the three best teams in the nation. They did not have a middle class of that schedule at all. Notre Dame was terrible. The rest of their non-conference opponents weren't anything special. It feels like we're in a little bit of that where... They've played the really good teams all all away from home, which I think is a factor. And they've played a lot of middle power five teams, but nothing like UNC. I think UNC is going to be a really, really good mark of where they are, how good they are, and how they can compete against a team that gave South Carolina a run for its money, but then almost lost to UNC Wilmington. So, 
I think Saturday or Sunday, not Saturday. Sunday is going to be very telling of like truly where this team is at. Because if, as you said, like those three losses, all those teams are in the top five now. UConn's played by every measure the toughest schedule in the country. So yeah, I mean, if any of the other top ten teams had played that schedule, they probably have a couple losses on their schedule too. Um, but I think how they play against UNC and what they're able to do in that game should go a long way in kind of seeing, is this team, I don't know, somewhere in that 15 range or are they worse off than that? I think this is kind of that middle tier opponent that really shows you where they're at. Right. Before we get to looking ahead at UNC and moving forward, I have a theory on what's going on, and the Texas game solidified it talking with some people around the team before, during, after the Ball State game. I think there's probably a little bit of truth to it. You know when you're when work's really bad, or if you're still in school when school's really bad and you've got a million things to do, and you just kind of have to batten down the hatches and you just grind your way through. You, you know the only way that you're going to get out is if you just keep pushing through it, but you've got that light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's the end of finals or once this project at work gets done, you're in the clear, or I guess this doesn't apply to anyone, but like for me, like, oh, finals week, they're off for the week. Just It'll lighten up from there, or Christmas maybe is a better example where once you push through, you're going to have that reward and it's going to get easier and you can kind of reset things from there. Well, last year or two years ago, they were able to fight through all the injuries. In part, you know, Paige is coming back and they could look to that. And they could continue pushing through and they did and they got to the national championship game. And the more that's happened since then, the more unbelievable it is that they even got that far considering everything and then last year you lose page in august so it's not like you had really looked ahead a whole lot and you have the entire preseason to figure it out and you've got someone like lou this is going to be your only season at uconn she's gonna be there az you know you got her you lose az but uh you'll get az back but then the way gino talked about it that this year was supposed to be the year they were past it where finally everyone's healthy we've got everyone we've got all the pieces together ah we lost Jana. we still feel pretty good about what we have Our, like we still got Paige, az Aaliyah. that trio is going to be able to carry us you go through the whole preseason you start you get punched in the mouth against nc state but nothing that happened in that game was anything that couldn't be fixed then you lose az and i think that was a blow but i don't think we really saw the demoralization as Gino talked about it hit until you lose Caroline in the Cayman Islands. And you could just see in that UCLA game that not, it wasn't that they weren't playing well enough. I mean, that was part of it, but they truly just did not have the pieces necessary to compete in that game. And they didn't have the answers that they needed because it was such short notice. And I think that really manifested itself against Texas where 
they almost threw their their hands up as like a what else can we do and to me it kind of looked like a team that just something inside them snapped something broke and for all the adversity they faced maybe Carolina was just the last straw and they can't do it anymore and this is the end of the rope I think that might kind of be the case because we we know how tough this team can be we've seen it for two years now but now maybe it's been one hit too many yeah I, I mean I think that's a really reasonable thing for it to be like it's just they've been so tough through all of it and like they've had injury after injury and like just have not been able to catch a break for like you said two years now and now we're on year three and it's just like when is it gonna end I think Christmas is going to be a really important time for this team because they have a really extended break. If -hmm. they can just get there, and it's not the easiest path. You've got UNC. That's not going to be a pushover game at Mohegan Sun. You follow that up with Louisville, but then Butler's not going to give you any trouble. Toronto Metropolitan is the way to go into the holidays. A really... Every single problem UConn has is going to be fixed on the court as Toronto Metropolitan. They're not going to have any issues in that game. <laughs> so just that high of this is Aaliyah's homecoming. We had Nika's. Like, I think the Nika game came at a really, really good time where mm-hmm. it was a, for the most part, stress-free win. You can put all this attention on Nika and her family and everything like that. And then... I think this Toronto game is going to be the same way where it can be all about Aaliyah and you know you're not going to lose that game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blowout. Everyone's going to get to play. Then you've got 11 days. This entire team needs to go home and at least for the stretch of the 21st when I imagine they would leave for that break and the 26th, 27th maybe. I don't know when they'd return for the the game on the 21st, maybe the 26th. But however long that you can be away, just don't think about basketball. Deal with whatever conditioning issues you may have or any rust that you may have from not working out or not staying in shape. Get the mental reset and take that break and take that time to just get away from it so that when you come back for Marquette, which will not be an easy game the way they've played, you have the capacity to deal with the blows that you're going to take throughout the rest of the season and come to grips with not having AZ the rest of the year and maybe not even having Caroline or maybe just accept that you're not going to have Caroline and if you do, that'll be a bonus and it'll be an even bigger lift if she comes back. But I look at that long break that they have as something that could really help this team reset mentally and fix what might be broken inside of them. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. I think between the time off, like you said, the easy game at Toronto Mon- Metropolitan, just a chance to get out there and just have fun and not be stressed about what they have to go out and do. I think even this next test of the schedule, as much as like UNC on Sunday is going to be a challenge and Louisville can be a challenge, it's still not the level of opponents they have been playing. So I think there's a lot that could be said too for if they can go in and, and get some wins against these teams that are 
you know, good, but not top five teams in the country, that should help boost the morale too. And it won't just be this constant like string of they've, I mean, they've only played what six games and three of them have been top five teams. That's just a really, really tough stretch and probably has been taking the losses in addition with everything else has probably been really demoralizing. Eight games, but yeah. eight games. Okay. Yeah. Still. I mean, it's a six game stretch that they've played those games. If you lock yeah. up Dayton and Ball State after Texas, I, I really was, I was, I, I was ready to be out on this team, but I still think they're going to get it at least to a level of respectability. Being 17 in the poll, they're in danger of falling out, which is, was it last episode that we mentioned? Like, oh, when are, when are they ever going to lose or be yeah. out of the poll? Or maybe it was after the Maryland game. I really did not think it would come this fast and this quickly where it would be a real consideration. I, I don't think they lose against North Carolina. I think they're enough of a good team. I think, yeah. I don't know that. Page, or that they have enough to stop Paige and Aaliyah both. And I think the freshmen have done enough. So, and it being a pseudo home game right. certainly I helps, think that helps as well. Yeah. I think they stay like if they beat UNC, I think, I don't think Louisville's good enough to really handle them at yeah. home. I mean, like, look, we never know what this year's team, they more than easily could lose one or both of these games, but I think they have enough to stay afloat to get it to a respectable level with Paige and Aaliyah. And by the time they get to March, it won't be crisis mode every single game. Once we get to March, I think we need to have a separate discussion about what those expectations should be. But but I think we'll have a better idea, too, when we get there, right? Like, some of these things yeah. will hopefully be resolved. You have that South Carolina game in February. That will be a really good barometer of truly where is this team. Even so, Notre Dame. It, it, yeah, even Notre like, Dame. Well, I don't know. Yeah. But even, I don't know how I feel about Notre Dame, but yeah. <laughs> well, no. Assuming Olivia Miles is done for the year, why they haven't announced that, I don't know. And, like, <laughs> however long Sonia Citron is out as well, like, yeah, they might not be the team that anyone thought they would be at the start of the year, but that's still in the vein of the yeah. Kansas and Minnesota, where it's a power five team. They've, I mean, Hannah Hidalgo is still on that team, and she's unbelievable as a freshman. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be just like it's going to be like these next two games where you're not just going to be able to walk in and come out with a win the way you would against Butler or Toronto Metropolitan or Georgetown or Providence or a lot of these teams in the Big East. So that stretch of Marquette, Notre Dame, and Villanova is going to be a really solid kind of reset of where this team is. And then, like you said, South Carolina and that Creighton and another against Villanova will, will be some others the rest of the way. So I think they get it to a point where they're probably, like I bet they hang out between like 10 and 13 for the rest of the season. Maybe they end up back in the top 10 just because there's a lot of losses ahead of them but i i still don't think the floor is going to completely fall out of this team the way that i think i might have in the aftermath of the texas game but it's it's also never going to be easy i don't think we're ever going to get to a point where we're feeling like all right they're rolling this is what we thought they would be now they go i think it's going to be a little bit more of a grinder than recent years.
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the nature of the, the injuries at this point is going to put them in that position. But there's still a lot of season left. And I think especially now that you're relying on freshmen quite a bit, like that can progress quite a bit from now until March as well. Look, if that 2019-20 team can play its best basketball during the AAC tournament, then literally anything is possible because <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough how little that team had. Uh, a first-team All-American person, Kyla Irwin, started a million games that year. They relied so heavily on Anna Makarat, who though we love her dearly on this podcast was was not necessarily one of the greatest players to ever walk through this program and it was Megan Walker and Crystal Dangerfield and a sophomore slumping Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson Adota who was generally pretty good against the weaker opponents but really really struggled against the better opponents a freshman Aubrey Griffin, who you could flip a coin at the start of the game. I mean, kind of like Cadence this year. You never knew what you were going to get out of her on a given game. That was your entire team right there. And that team, they would not have gotten to the Final Four. They would have gotten bounced at some point in that tournament before then. But they still had looked pretty good. I test, they were passing the eye test by the NCAA tournament, and they certainly were not in AAC or... The, the big East, a AAC tournament. My God. <laughs> they certainly were not against conference opponents earlier in the year. So UConn is not passing the eye test, but if that team can do it, then that leads me to believe that anybody can do it. And Paige Beckers, <laughs> she is, yeah, she's the great equalizer. Yeah. She's a lot more than that team had. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, she's a lot more than most UConn teams have had yeah. that had someone not named Brianna Stewart, Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi. I mean, I don't want to dive too deep down this rabbit hole, but in terms of pure talent that we've seen from UConn mm -hmm. players, I don't, I would list maybe like Fee, Lobo, Tina Charles, Sue Bird, probably I, I didn't watch Svetlana say, play, so I, I don't want to throw Svetlana out there. But, I mean, I, I'd put Paige in the, at least the top 10 all time. She was a National Player of the Year and was mm -hmm. on her way to doing it a second time before a million injuries struck. So just in terms of pure ability and talent, it, she doesn't have the, the resume that a lot of the others have. Right. But, I mean, she did that all as a freshman. We have not seen a developed Paige Beckers really at any point because she's still coming back from the injury. So, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. The talent there. We'll, I think, honestly, having Paige will keep this team probably in that top 10 conversation, assuming they can figure things out enough to get past UNC and Louisville in the next couple of weeks. Those will be really good marks of just how much playing at home means to the team because I think we also kind of saw against NC State that the way the offense flowed there as compared to against Maryland and different opponents obviously but mm -hmm. just the flow and the execution it was miles different and then even or even just compare Maryland to Minnesota and the way that everything worked there that I 
it, it was night and day. So I think this team really values playing at home and has to learn how to play on the road a little bit. Yeah, agreed. So Ball State, less basketball takeaways in this game, but just one that we should talk about is the way Ashlyn Shade played, setting a career high. I think she had eight points in the first half. She almost set a career high in the first half, but Chino's talked about how they had to talk her off the ledge because she felt like she was letting the team down by not being the best player in the country from day one in her career. And that because she wants to be so great and so good for this team, that's almost harming her in the short term. But we saw a little bit of what she can do. And I would even argue that was a microscopic piece of what she can do because yes, they, they, that shooting ability, both from three point and that pull up jumper, which is automatic with her when she gets space drive into the rim and pulls up from the mid range. That seems to go in every time. But I think what is going to make Ashlyn shade a really great player over time is that not, I don't mean this in a comparison of, players just the way that gabby williams did everything rebounding shooting passing defense scoring i think ashlyn shade can impact the game in a similar breath where it's a lot of different things where she can contribute maybe she won't score every night but she's gonna make an impact on the game or to a lesser degree i think aubrey griffin so yes a very great start that she had a great shooting night, a great scoring night, and I think there's a lot more that she can do. But overall, just a really good step in the right direction, and that's what matters right now. Agreed. I think seeing that from her or any of the other freshmen is a really good sign from this team, and it's not necessarily going to be consistent. She's not necessarily going to put up 15 on Sunday, but just seeing flashes of it, I think, is, is a really good start. And then if they can start to find some consistency with the freshmen, that's going to help this team a lot too. The freshmen are going to be the the great X factors the rest of this <laughs> way. And the the fact that Cadence to come along, I I mean it it feels a little bit like that first shot is going to define what Cadence's day is going to be because if it goes in, it might be a good day, and if it doesn't, you might just want to throw in the towel and wait for another game. In, in terms of pure entertainment value, Cadence has to be number one because you absolutely <laughs> never know what's going to happen when she's on the floor. She's, I think Gino had the quote earlier, or maybe in the preseason, that she does two out of ten things right, but she knows how to do those two, two things, and it's just an adventure with her. It is a <laughs> nonstop adventure. I was, I was joking during the game, if you know the concept in baseball of the three true outcomes, you can either get a hit, you can walk or you can strike out with cadence. It feels like it's going to be a shot. It's going to be a turnover or it's going to be a foul. <laughs> That's what you're going to get. And you never know which one it might be. And you never know if it's going to be a foul on her or a foul against the other team, but something's going to happen when she's out there on the floor and you just hope it's the good more than it's the bad. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but I think the bigger thing with the ball state is this was the ultimate celebration of Nika Mule. It was it was a really fun game in that regard. Her parents come in. Her parents were awesome. I got to talk with them before the game. They were just 
you can see where Nika gets it from. Her dad had on a Ball State shirt because it's the only time he's going to be able to see Hana play. Her mom had, it must have been like four or five layers of Nika Mule NIL store merchandise. The different <laughs> shirts, the different like things that they put out. She had everything. It was That was really funny. And then Nika and Hana's cousin, I, I think her name's Sarah. I, I don't want to screw up her last name, but she played, she's a freshman at Wofford. She happened to have two days off in the span that it took her to come up and come back. So she was there and the whole family had them on, but she had it on top. It was a custom shirt that had a Ball State and Yukon logo. And then on the back, it said Mule 10, but Hana wears one. So the MU and one were in red for Hana. And then the HL and zero were in national flag blue for Nika. Those were really cool shirts. First time ever playing against each other. Wasn't a whole lot of one-on-one, -on -one, but just the Croatian flags in the student section and all of the Nika Mule shirts and jerseys that I saw everywhere in the crowd and the cheers that Nika got and all of it. They exchanged jerseys after the game. They all take photos on the court. The two share a big hug. It was such a great celebration of someone that I think has really captured the fan base in a way that we haven't seen from a non-superstar in a really long time. I mean, you talk about the cult heroes in the history of the program and Nika Mule is right up there. Yeah, definitely. I think you've seen it in other games and last season and stuff, but like the fans just love her and the student section loves her and to get to her we get to have this chance to celebrate that at home is, is really, really cool. I mean, I know we're supposed to be objective in, in the media and everything, but it's hard not to love Nika and just yeah. her infectious personality and her humor and everything like that. She's just been one of the most fun players to cover in my eight years doing this or nine, nine years. I think it's, is this season nine? <laughs> oh God. Yeah, my nine <laughs> seasons doing this. Uh, there's been no one like Nika, and it's certainly going to be quite a a big void when she's gone that you're never going to be able to replace. There's there's only ever going to be one Nika. Uh, something else about the game that I just thought was awesome is Hana came within one point of scoring her career high, and I was disappointed that the Ball State coach decided not to start her, but... She cert they certainly played her a lot more than her season average, and they left her out there for a really long time, especially once the game was out of hand. I mean, I guess I can understand if you want to go in and at least pretend like you're playing <laughs> for a chance to win. But once that game's out of hand the way that it was, the fact that they left her out there and they played into it and they let the the greater context of the game take over, I thought that was really great, so... The fact that they set up the game at all, too. I mean, it would have been so easy for Ball State to say, no, we're not going to come play UConn. We do not want to do that. But they knew that it was beyond just a basketball game. So overall, I thought the whole night was really cool and just a really great celebration of Nika and her family. Definitely.
Alrighty, so we've talked about them enough, but let's look ahead to UNC. A very up and down type season for Courtney Banghart's Tar Heels. One of my favorites, Courtney Banghart. Very excited that this is a matchup. Really wanted it to happen in the Sweet 16 last year, and uh, <laughs> even more so after the way that things went. But what do you think about this UNC team? It feels like 24 is kind of right because they have moments where they're really good and they have moments where they look like they can't get their head screwed on straight. Yeah, it's it's certainly been, I don't know, like an interesting run for them so far this season. They have, you know, the, the low major opponents that they've blown out, but then they played Davidson within, they won, but within four points, three-point win over Vermont then three state losses to Kansas State, Florida Gulf Coast, and South Carolina. But the South Carolina one was close. So it's they've been up and down and relatively inconsistent, which I think is kind of consistent with what we saw from UNC last year as well. I think where they're going to focus is on the defensive end. Again, Like they're a really strong defensive team. Their offense leaves plenty to be desired. Um, so... Even if UConn's struggling offensively, like they, I don't know that they're going to struggle as much as UNC does offensively in this one. Yeah, watching them against South Carolina, they were so close at times, but then they they'd be within a few points and they would just take one of the dumbest shots you've ever seen. <laughs> and it's like, what what was even the plan there? Did did you guys even like? Do you know that your goal is to put the ball in the hoop and not just launch things at that orange rim? It 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 was mind blowing how bad some of their decision making was, and with how aggressive Nika. This could be, I think, a sneaky big game for KK on the defensive end because there UNC had some really bad passes and they were <laughs> sloppy with the ball at times. If she can be that defensive disruptor in that game, and nothing else she'll have a huge impact. So those two, I think if UConn can unleash them a little bit and have them press and have them get their hands in passing lanes and just really be those those pests on defense that we know that they can be, I could see that really getting in and affecting UNC's offense. And then in turn, that makes it much easier to put points up against a good UNC team because if you're forcing turnovers, especially in the backcourt, around midcourt or around the perimeter, and you can just go and get down the floor, it's not UNC doesn't even have time to set up a transition defense, let alone a half-court defense. So <laughs> that could be the best way forward where you can take advantage of their weakness and use that to exploit their strength. Yeah, I, I agree with that, I think. That's going to be the key. And just finding ways to to get the offense going despite the defense from UNC. It's going to be good. I thought it, I was really impressed with their defensive effort in that South Carolina game. It's what kept them in that game. Their offense didn't do all that much, but the defense was able to keep them in it. And I think that's going to be um, important going into to this one as well. For Well, they're going to try to slow UConn down, and UConn's going to have to find a way to – to execute despite of that. Yeah, a South Carolina team that is putting up triple digits on a routine basis. <laughs> they they certainly have no no trouble scoring, so yeah, it's 
it's going to be an interesting matchup in a day that is going to be filled with really good games. How excited are you more excited for this UCLA game at Mohegan Sun than any other UConn game this year? Probably. I'm very excited to watch UCLA <laughs> in person. <laughs> yeah, but it is like a really solid lineup of games. I feel like it's going to be like me in the arena 10 a.m. or whatever turn that first game's at. But I hope people are going to turn out for you know the other games before the UConn game too because it's a, a really great slate of games. Yeah, UConn plays the late game and it's at 5. I couldn't yeah. figure that one out. I guess yeah well and it's not like you don't want to go up against NFL because you're playing all of those games in NFL time slots pretty much so <laughs> I don't get it weird yeah but yeah you've got UCLA Florida State at noon and then South Carolina Utah at 2 30 and UConn at and at five it's three really great games it should be a very fun day of basketball that UConn game is also just absolutely not starting at five yeah, no chance. Agreed. No chance. Yeah. <laughs> Two games have to fit perfectly within their window. No. no yeah, no, no, no. not gonna happen. Especially like these are the like, top twenty-five matchup, top ten match, or almost top ten matchup. I guess Utah's eleven, but like I feel like they're if they go down to the wire, they're naturally going to take longer. Or overtime. Or overtime. They, exactly. They just did not take overtime into account at all here. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it should be a really good chance to see. I don't know, one, two, three, like six top twenty-five teams in action in one place. Yeah, is this? Who was the other game last year? Was it Michigan Villanova, or was that a couple years ago? Yeah, I think that was the one last year. Mich or no, maybe it was last year. I think it was UConn was first, and then it was Iowa State. Villanova? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was, or maybe that was two years ago, and it was like Michigan Baylor last year. I forget. But no, Iowa State sounds right. Yeah, because UConn played Florida State, and that was the first game they were without Gino. Correct. CD definitely coached. That yes. Game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. I think they were the the second game. Or the, well, they were way. the first game, and then it was Iowa State, Villanova in the second game. Yeah, I I think it's been a big step forward for the sport that they've actually started setting up these... I mean, neutral site for everyone not named UConn-type yeah. contest. This used to be just UConn playing some generic Power 5. Like, I mean, prior to the way that Florida State kind of come along in recent years, but Florida State or... It was Florida State like three times or Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. It was like Oklahoma twice, actually, now that I think about it. Because Gino get his thousandth win at Mohegan Sun oh, against Oklahoma? I think he did. Yeah, so, that sounds right. These just random middling Power 5 programs would come to Mohegan and that would be the entire showcase. And now it's a killer lineup of really good games with UConn playing. I mean, it's a great matchup, even if mm -hmm. UNC is not totally what we thought they would be. So, yeah, the UConn's not what people thought they would be either. So, let's just still be a good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious Wait. what the attendance looks like for that late game. If 
because UConn's down, do people not necessarily show up, or they're going to have good crowds for all three games, and then the UConn one is just full because it's the women's basketball fans there for the entire day plus the UConn game, or what? So I would expect the cost to be decent. I feel like they don't have that many great home games this year. But I would kind of expect yeah. it to be a decent crowd because, like, there's just not, like, you've got the Louisville one, but, like, that's just not as exciting. And then you've got Notre Dame later. But, like, there's not a bunch of huge marquee home games. So I, and I feel like they, other than the Ball State game, they haven't really been home recently. So I'd expect people to show up. Yeah. Somehow that was only their second game. I guess third if you count the exhibition, but second regular season game at Gamble yesterday. Only their third of the, season and they're not back in gamble until like late january it's one of those weird years every few years they have a really weird home schedule and this is one of them Mm -hmm. on that note that'll do it for this episode of the yukon hawk oh god this is not the (laughs) podcast jesus on that note that'll do it for chasing perfection we'll be back next week during the finals week break thanks for listening